So, for those of you that are uh, that haven't been here for a couple of weeks, and I can see a couple of you up there. I I am excited. Doesn't sound like the way I'm talking. I'm excited to be engaged in a revelation for us about the father-child relationship that God is our father. And the Lord's begun to open some things up for me. I had a chance to teach it a bunch of times in the last few days, uh, about four or five times to different groups of people, including us, uh, in the last 10 days. And just some stunning things came out of it. So I know that God is in it. I know that it answers a lot of questions that that we have. And I, I, I hope tonight is a brief introduction. We have two objectives tonight. One, I want to make an introduction about the preeminence of our relationship with our Father. And it's just going to be a concept that I want you to think about. And then the next thing that we want to do is I want to check into our heart. We had a, a, a wonderful uh, set of leaders meetings on Wednesday. And one of the things that, that we talked about is it would be kind of weird with everything that's going on, all the political and cultural upheaval that's going on and everything that's coming. Uh, it would be kind of weird to not check in and see how your heart's doing. So uh, I know Tuesday night at, at our group, we had some discussion. It seemed like it helped some people. It really did. It was pretty neat. There was a lot of grace and a lot of sweetness there. There was a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity to think things through and talk it out. Uh, Tommy, your husband was a rock star at that meeting. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what Tom did. Um, so we were talking about things that are going on and, you know, we were talking about riots and various things like that and just all the crazy cultural stuff that we didn't think we'd have to deal with for, you know, in, in our country and, and in the censoring and the freedoms that are going, uh, seemingly coming under fire. And uh, Tom pipes up. He's got a quiet voice, but, it, you know, everybody listens when he speaks because there's usually something cool there. So he pipes up and, and uh, he says, well, you know, he said, I, I did a little research on the riots back in the 60s. And he goes, this is really not the first time we've had riots where, you know, buildings were being burned and cop cars were smoldering on the street and stuff, or even the Capitol. And uh, he just cited these statistics to something like there was a 170 or something like that, and, and 170 distinct riots in 1967. And, of course, when he said that, we lived in Southern California when I was little at that time, and, uh, man, all those things came back so vividly, you know. Uh, and he said, I think there was 108 or something like that in 68 and had another number in 69. And, and then the thing he finished the discussion with, and there was a number of people that were in their 30s or maybe a couple that were even a tiny bit younger. And the discussion had gone into some challenging areas about, you know, the loss of freedom and, and uh, manipulation, things like that. And, and Tom said, I don't know. He said, I, we actually have lived through a couple things like this. He said, I don't know how many of you remember what it was like to be instructed two or three times a week as an elementary school student that if you see a flash, don't look at it, turn away, pull your hood over your head, and get under your desk. And the expression on the faces of some of you guys that probably had never experienced or thought about that, that you mean there was a time in your lives when you guys were going to try to protect yourself from a nuclear blast by pulling your hood over your head and getting under your desk. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, you know, there was. And uh, 
and, and somebody asked, well, what was the result of that? And he said, a whole generation of traumatized elementary school students, you know. And he says, but we lived through it. We lived through it. And we are, uh, oh, hey, Tom. Yeah, I kind of butchered your data, I think, but the, the essence of the story came through. And it, it's just fantastic. And so I'm hoping that tonight, uh, as, as we can create a, a place where it's, uh, easy and, um, therapeutic to, to check out your heart. Um, I'm hoping that it can be a place rooted in some truth in scripture and just general truth about the love of God where you'd be able to walk away feeling better if you need to or walk away fired up if you're already fired up. All right. Let me try to make this make sense to you. And, and I have, uh, I have a couple things that, that the Lord and I dialogued about that I'm going to read to you too out of my journal. But before the cosmos, this was the first relationship, okay? And we're talking child and father, first relationship. This is David Bentley Hart's translation, if it sounds different to you. In the origin, there was the Logos. And the Logos was present with God. And the Logos was God. This one was present with God in the origin. You notice how it repeats? Repeating things like that is an, a significant thing in the scripture. It, it gives you pause to, to hear it and, and to see it both ways. The word present there is the word pros, and it fundamentally means uh, genuinely present, face-to-face, engaged. So the Logos was present, pros, face-to-face with God, and the Logos was God. This one was present with God in the origin, and all things came to be through him. And to emphasize that, it's repeated again. And without him came to be not a single thing that has come to be. All right. So, you see why uh, the title, Before the Cosmos, the first relationship? Because before creation, before the cosmos even existed, there was this relationship between the Logos and God. And now we have come to know by revelation that that is a relationship between Jesus and his Father before Jesus took on the incarnation. Now, does that strike you? Or are you just going, well, Larry, we all know that. I mean, that's the fundamental basic belief in Christianity that Jesus is God and he was with God before the foundation world. It's okay if it's, if it's old news. But I want you to at least make a little room for it to be something more spectacular than just rote news. This is the first fundamental relationship before anything else was created. Before there was time, before there was space, before there was other matter. All of that was spoken into existence purposely and willfully by God. And the relationship between God and the Logos, or what we have come to know, the Father and the Son in the Spirit, is the very relationship from which the cosmos came. This is what it says here. All things came to be, began to exist, came into being through Him, the Logos. And without Him came to be not a single thing that has come to be. So, 
The cosmos exists. Everything that we're experiencing, our lives, our bodies, time, space, gravity, all of the laws of nature, all of the spiritual laws, all of the spiritual realities, angels, uh, all of the unseen things uh, like uh, stellar mechanics, gravity, all of that, all of the spinning gravitational effects of the electrons, neutrons, all of that stuff. All of that came out of this relationship between the Logos and God, between the Word and His Father. Okay? Now, that, that's a big, t- a big deal. It's something to ponder. Okay? Now, here's a passage in Ephesians where the Apostle Paul tries to sneak us back into this time and he reveals something else. Notice the similarity of the parallelism in what's being said. Blessed be, and now Paul is able, through revelation coming later, he's able to identify the names, the specifics of this situation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed. Wow. So now God is not just God, and the Logos is not just that that intention of God being, being out there. Now it is identified as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Anointed. So you see where I'm saying that we can personify this. We can understand that there was a dynamic relationship that existed before anything else and everything that came into existence from the smallest to the biggest, from the most universally widespread to the most specific All of that came into being through that process of creation from the relationship between God that is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good point, Larry. With every... Okay, so this one who also in the anointed, in the anointed, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the anointed. Who is the anointed? Jesus. In John's terms, in the in the prologue, verse 1, 2, and 3 there, who is the anointed? It's the Logos, right? So that means that the things that we seek in prayer, the blessings that we enjoy, the blessings of life, the blessings of vision and revelation, the blessings of healing, the blessings of existence, the blessings of having a name and being known by God and being knowable by one another, the blessings of being loved, the blessings of being called to purpose. They are all found where? In the anointed. When? who in the anointed has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as He, the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us in Him, Jesus the anointed, before the foundation of the cosmos. Have any of you ever stubbed your toe when you're on a hike, tripped over a branch or rock or something like that? Before that rock was made, before that branch fell from the tree, 
before the trail upon which it should not have been was ever patted down, you were known and you were designated to be loved and every other spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and in the cosmos, you were known. You preceded that thing that you stumbled over by eons. Actually, by more than time. When did you come to know the Lord? We've all probably got a date that pops into our mind. When did He come to know you? Here. This is some, this is, this is the shift that we need to think about a little bit. Otherwise, we're going to see our lives as interruptions in time that are brief, and we're going to be a little bit uncertain whether God was really there or not, whether He really noticed or not, whether He's really keeping an eye on it, or is He just doing it sort of as an administrative duty because He's God and He's got to do stuff like that. But the, the revelation that is in Scripture is so much more spectacular than that, so much more amazing than that. The revelation that is in Scripture is that the reason He created that which turned into that branch that fell and tripped you on the trail when you were hurrying back after dark, the reason He created in the first place was because choosing you. If we were to read more out of this, which we probably should do, but I'm going to keep it short. If we were to read more out of this Ephesians, it talks about how God foreknew us and, and predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son and how He did... i got to read it. There's no way. That's ridiculous. Okay. Let me go over there. Oop. There it is. We give thanks... Listen to this. Listen to the heart that is being revealed behind all of this, which is the beating heart today that God has for us and for others. We give thanks to God, Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed, praying about you always, having heard of your faithfulness in the Anointed One, Jesus. Oops, I'm in the wrong book. That's Colossians. Sorry, we'll be there in a minute. Here we go. I thought, wow, that didn't sound like whatever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Anointed, who in the Anointed has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. It's before the foundation of the world. As He chose us in Him before the foundation of the cosmos, that we might be holy and immaculate before Him in love marking us out in advance for filial adoption to Himself through Jesus the Anointed, according to His will's delight. All right, now think about that. Marking you and I out for family adoption, filial adoption, before there was a speck of starlight, before there was any rays of the sun or any reflections off the moon, before there was even chaos on the face of the earth or the face of the earth to have chaos on it, before animals and plants 
before science had a, a foothold to even begin to be discerned. Before the first tick of the clock of time. This is what was going on about you and about me. Marking us out in advance for filial adoption to himself through Jesus the anointed, according to his will's delight. I get the impression of a kind of giddiness there. Thinking about you and thinking about me, the Father and the Son were And, and, and it's that heart, it's that giddiness, it's that delight that begins to explain why flowers are beautiful and why they are adorned and imbued with a smell. Why water is refreshing. It didn't have to be. It could just be something that you sucked up through the bottom of your feet to keep you hydrated. But no, the whole system flows out of delight. Not just delight that came along Johnny Come Lately, Delight from before the beginning. The world takes on its beauty, it takes on its majesty, and it takes on its mystery. And I know it's been nicked up a little bit by the fall and distorted some, but it takes that stuff on from, out from the delight that the Lord took when he envisioned us as humanity and I think as individuals as well. Um, He goes on to say, for the praise of the glory of his grace, which with which he graced us in the beloved one, in whom, by whose blood, we have the fee for liberation and the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has caused to abound to us in all wisdom and understanding, making known to us the mystery of his will, which was his purpose in him. And he goes on to talk about his commitment to see that brought about at an appropriate time. Is that, is that special or what? Have we given that enough credit? Do you give yourself enough credit for being the object of that kind of delight before the creation of the world? I don't think so. I think, I think, and I understand it totally, and I experience it, obviously. I think we, we have a little slice of time view of ourselves. And we have layered on that time performance goals, successes and failures, talent, mistakes, sins and collapses and judgment. Those are real things. I'm not saying they're not. But what I am saying is those are not the fundamental defining relationship of your life. This is. This is. This is. I think this is pretty cool. I want you every time, I want you every time that you think about being in Christ to begin to develop the habit of thinking about childlikeness or childness. And I'm going to call it childness. It's a phrase I'm borrowing from Michael Phillips' book, Hell and Beyond. And it's just some dialogue that goes on between George MacDonald and a guy trying to get his way through the afterlife. But the journey of childness, and and, and here's why I want to use that word, and I'm going to use it some as we move forward. Because uh, if we talk about being like a child, most of us are conditioned to just isolate a few qualities 
of a child's behavior or a child's innocence or something like that. And I'm not saying there's not something to learn that way, but I think it undersells the reality when Jesus said, unless you turn and become like a child. And then if we, so that's childlikeness. And then there's always that perennial debate that gets in the way of us just believing and enjoying and embracing and getting the, the, the giggles of being a child about between childishness and childlikeness. And so I think if we'll use, and there's two words that I'm thinking about developing uh, uh, familiarity with for us. And one of them is childness and the other is childship. And the reason that I like the idea of childship is because it, it has an ability to slide in the same series of thinking about sonship. And I love sonship. And there's a ton to know about sonship, but no one ever became a son that wasn't first a child. That's how it works. And the relationship that is more fundamental than even our sonship is our childship. Okay? So, um, I don't know where it's going to take us, but I just really ask you, in Jesus' name, to start... When you, when you read your scripture and you see something where Jesus is revealing the Father, or you're in John 14 and he says, in that day you'll know that I'm in my Father. Who's in his Father? Well, Jesus is in his Father. The Son's in his Father, for sure. But, but the Father's child, the Logos that was there in the beginning before all this happened. The child. And, oh, I'm in you and you're in me. What's that mean? I, Jesus, hanging on the cross, all bloodied. I, Jesus, rising and shining. I, Jesus, seated in the heavenly places, looking like John saw him look. Yes, all of those are fine. But for a season, just let him be the Father's child. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. It's okay to think about childness while we're thinking about difficult cultural and political things. And that's what I, I hope we can do tonight as we take our next step forward on that. All right. We sang it tonight, which was cool. And talked a little about that. It was awesome this year. If you could say with me, I am God's child. All right, let's say it again. I am God's child. And one more time. I am God's child. All right, so I'm a words guy, and I'm trying to come up with a way to talk about this, and, uh, and, and I, I haven't got it quite down yet, but this is a start. That thing that you just declared is our irreducible genetic, spiritual, and cosmic identity. So let's just think about one of those at a time. Literally, if somebody were to take an electron microscope and examine you thoroughly with some kind of fMRI electron microscope technology, there is a genetic similarity that in the, the book of Genesis is called, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Those are very benign words for what we bear as the image of God. Jesus looked like us because we were made in His image. Not the other way around. 
our irreducible genetic code, our irreducible genetic code links us to God the Father. Our irreducible spiritual identity, because God is spirit, right? We have a spirit. We have the capacity to have a spirit. It's possible for a being to have a spirit because God is spirit. And, and, and the union, the working together of that spirit with man's spirit is incredible. You can read about it in Romans where it says that the spirit cries out and, uh, Abba Father and where he bears witness that we're sons of God, children of God, children, remember what it says. And the cosmic identity. I don't know, early in you guys' Christianity, uh, when you were, when you felt like you had to defend against evolution with every fiber of your Christian being, did it ever bother you when people would bring up those slides of a dolphin and it looked a lot like a human zygote or one of those kind of things? It did me. I mean, I thought, oh my God, well, how am I going to talk my way out of that one, you know? We are made of the stuff of the cosmos, but the link is not with the cosmos. We're not Johnny-come-latelys at the end. We're not like the trees and the animals and, and the rocks. Our design shaped the cosmos. Not because we were there doing some weird thing, but because our daddy had us fully formed and, and he was creating the womb of our life. And like I said, that's why water doesn't just soak up through your feet because he says, it would be good after a long walk on a hot day to have a cool, refreshing drink of water. And then while we're at it, let's make sure that water can go down and permeate the cell walls and it can pull the uh, uh, electrolysis together so the neurosystems in our body can... You know, it's incredible when you think about it. This stuff was made for us and we were made for it as the precedent. It's not wrong to think of ourselves that way. When you do start thinking of yourselves that way, you start wondering, I probably don't have a good excuse for thinking that God is just ignoring my trial right now. <laughs> or that somehow He's forgotten where I am and He doesn't care. Or because I prayed this one thing and it hasn't happened exactly the way I anticipated that He might not even be watching. Or He might not even be real. But and He has never taken his eye off of you. Not even in difficult times. Because he didn't just notice you somewhere along the way. Does that make sense? You can't overthink this. The first relationship was between the Logos and God, which is revealed by the Apostle Paul's revelation is God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the second relationship before the cosmos was His conception of us. And, and that word is such a cool word when you think about it because it carries two meanings. It carries the meaning of a beginning of life and it carries the meaning of an idea being formed. That is how we need to think about it.
That is how we need to think about the second relationship that existed prior to the cosmos. It was birthed in the dynamic between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And you and I were conceived. And when you think about it, so I don't think, yeah, this was just last Sunday. I can't remember when I taught all this stuff. So I taught, I, I taught uh, last week's introduction. I, I borrowed my own notes. Taught last week's introduction to this online church down uh, that's centered out of Texas. And it was pretty cool. It was about 35 people. And uh, the first question that was asked me after I taught the introduction about this kind of stuff is this guy named Randy said, Larry, that's, that's really given a lot to think about. He said, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. And, uh, and he said, so would you differentiate between our conception and our birth? Because last week I talked about unless you are born again. And being born again produces a child. Unless you're born again, you can't see the camera. He said, would you uh, separate as distinct our conception and our birth? And where would you assign those two things? And I thought, well, wow, that's quite a first question. <laughs> it seems I've been teaching this for two weeks. Uh, but I said, Randy, I go, I'd like to have more time to answer that, but the, the, I think maybe the off-the-cuff answer is going to be okay. I go, I believe that the conception was before the cosmos was created when God thought about us and took delight in us. And I believe the birth is the one spoken about in the prologue to John down around verse 12 that we talked about last week, which is when we believe and we recognize it. And um, there are some other scriptures that could lead to another conclusion. For instance, Peter says we were born again to a new and living hope at the resurrection of Jesus. So there's some stuff to study there. But I thought it was a terribly wonderful question. And just the question in that brief dialogue about it changed the minds of everybody in the room instead of thinking of themselves as somebody who came into being 20 or 30 or 60 years ago and are going to go out of being and then hopefully get to heaven and that the events of your life are just sort of a random set of occurrences or maybe a directional set of occurrences, but they're all contained in a little parenthesis in time and time is this big juggernaut. It changed the conception to the fact that we were conceived in the heart of the Father. And that conception motivated the Father and the Son to create the world and to create us. It's just huge, guys. It's just huge. So, oop. Uh, there we go. Hit the back button. So I don't know how this is. So this is John 1, 10 through 13. First John, is it? Yeah, John 10, 1 through 13. It's the latter part of the prologue we looked at last week. He said, cosmos and through him the cosmos came to be. And the cosmos did not recognize him. He came to those that were his own, who did not accept him, but as many as did accept him, to them he gave the power to become God's children. To those having faith in his name, those born not from blood nor from man's desire, but from God. There's a lot more for us to study about on that, a lot more for us to be revealed. Lord, open our eyes to the reality of this. What is this born-again experience? And dare we rethink what we mean by being born again and attach it back to the actual literal Fulfillment of our conception in your mind and the becoming of the child that we are in development into that son and king and priest and all that other stuff. But so 
the point is, this is our most fundamental identity, no matter what else you are. Pastor, mom, doesn't matter. All that God thinks and does for us, He does out from His identity as a father. That's why I had Colossians marked. Here's that, that passage there. Who delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into what? Okay? And, and the only thing I want you to use this example on, because there's, if I were to just like run through half the examples in the scripture that point to this father-child thing as being central, especially in Jesus, we'd be here for hours and hours and hours. But look at this. The fundamental act of redemption and deliverance is to take us out of darkness into a, a kingdom. How is the kingdom defined? It's the kingdom of his love's son. The act of the father loving his child, loving his son, is the very definition of the kingdom of God. And I can't tell you guys how many times throughout my life as a teacher and a pastor and a, and a charismatic third-wave kind of guy and all that kind of stuff, I tried to come out with the most complex uh, and clever definitions of the kingdom that incorporated the rule of God, the manifestation of God's power and presence, blah, 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 blah. The Bible never did that. Jesus used a few simple illustrations. He said, if I cast a demon out by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. What kingdom? Oh, if he had talked about it, the kingdom of daddy loving me. That's the kingdom. We are delivered from darkness. We are delivered from the domain of darkness. We are delivered from that power of darkness. And we are poof, poof, into the kingdom that is bounded and marked and defined by the beloved, by the Son. Remember, here's some other examples. Jesus gets baptized, and a voice comes from heaven. One of the first times that that happened in centuries in Israel and on the world. And it says, uh, Behold, the Son of my love. The guys are up on Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son, my beloved son. Listen to him. It's all about that. It's all about that first relationship. And we're about that as the second relationship. The kingdom that we live in and are directed towards is daddy's, son's, loving environment. Boom, kingdom. That's what it is. And I don't know how to explain it anymore because I run out of my own revelation. But I know that this is huge. I know that it will change our lives if we can begin to see it. And all we have to do to see it is humble ourselves and become like, become childness, become, give in, surrender to the journey to be a child. Um, I apologize because I had an idea and then I forgot about it on the way to church. I was going to get a bag of lifesavers so that in a minute after we talked about politics, if anybody needed one, you remember the old lifesaver commercials? If we needed one. And then I'll warn you ahead of time, this will offend some of your religious sensibilities because even thinking about it does mine. But we're going to take communion in a few weeks, maybe next week. Paul uh, Richards is going to be here next week talking about some of this stuff. We might do this while Paul's here, see how he handles it. We're going to take communion with things like cookies and juice. Or maybe animal crackers and milk. We have to do something real to be able to back away from our addiction to adult reasoning and become like a child. And the reward 
Well, Jesus, you know, Jesus said you can enter the kingdom. Well, of course, of course you have to be something like a child to enter the kingdom because it's the kingdom of daddy's child. And the characteristic of that is love. Jesus also said about little children, he said, for such, you know, uh, let them come. For such, to such belongs the kingdom to children. And you know, the, 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 the spiritual, mystical side of us, he said that, you know, you, you don't want to despise one of these little ones because their angel gaze upon the face of their father and my father all the time. I believe, guys, that the things that we have sought, um, Teresa, the conversation we had about not being able to reach out during COVID, I think this is a, a doorway to, to the motivation and to the supernatural resources to do something about it. And I think that and I and, and I, I don't just say it because it's like a neat new revelation. He said, unless you are converted and become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom. And how many of us with the fullest intentions and the best teaching we've had, and I would say I'm guilty on both ends of that spectrum, have been banging at the door to what we understand the kingdom to be in, in here, but we just don't see it. We get glimpses of it. I think I think there's... Wonderful possibilities ahead. We're translated into the kingdom of his son's love in whom we have the price of liberation, the forgiveness of sins. Last one, First John. I'm writing you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. You see the parallel? You see how this all links together? I'm writing you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. And then 14, he jumps down and says, I've written you, little children, because you've known the Father. In who... Do we find the forgiveness of sin? That's the Father's Son. And what is eternal life? Father, this is eternal life. That they would know you, John 17, 3. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. All right, so here's the conclusion for tonight and the practical part as we take the next several minutes and check on our hearts. Psalms 131, this is the whole psalm. It says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rest against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. That's the whole of that psalm. Um, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Now, the line above that where it says, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. In a minute, we're going to read some declarations and ascensions. And we're going to um, pray. Anyway, it's not like we're not going to engage in the culture around us tonight. And, and I, I, it's perfectly appropriate to do. So I don't want you to interpret that as us being naive to the things going on around us or abdicating our responsibility as perhaps intercessors or 
prophets or just believers and people with faith. But I also don't want you to dismiss it. I don't, I don't want you to think that we have to get in a scrunch-faced adult posture filled with fret, called spiritual intensity to be effective. I want you to do your best to assume the posture of a little child leaning against his mother. Because ultimately, it is our daddy that is going to accomplish this. We play a role. In quietness and peace is our strength. So, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rest against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. And then I've tossed together a couple questions. So our irreducible identity in our union with Jesus is the declaration, I am God's child. Okay? So, two questions as we go into this. Can we see ourselves and others as God's children? Can we see ourselves and others as God's children? Most of the people we look at don't look like children. They look like adults. Some of them are scary adults. Some of them are intimidating. Some of them are friendly. Some of them are mean. I was trying to answer this question for myself today in anticipation of thinking about, you know, checking our hearts about politics and so on. And the one little exercise I did, and I felt like the Lord actually said this. Let me see if I can find what he wrote or what I felt like he said. So he said, in that moment, or in that context, as my child, assume the security and the assurance of a child. Receive the quietude that is yours as a weaned child. And then, oh, yeah, here it is. Purpose to see each other as those weaned children that they are. Most fundamentally, this is what they are to me, to my sight. And I have not lost sight of anyone's true and most basic identity. Help each one receive an image of even their political persecutors as children. Think of them as young bullies. It's not my hope for them, but my hope is possible and does not disappoint. Because I was struggling with how to do that, you know, how to apply that childlike thing. Think of them as young bullies. Bullies are not cool. But they aren't at the end of their story either. There's still possibilities because they're children. And then can we purpose, purposely give ourselves to receive the quietude of a child in mom's lap? I wouldn't have used that word if I didn't feel like I got it in the journal because it's kind of a fancy sounding word. 
beyond my vocabulary. But now that it's up there on the screen, quietude strikes me of like what would happen if you had come down into a valley and there's a pond at the bottom in the summer. And it's not just quiet and it's not just serene. It's like there's an atmospheric culture there that sets your heart at ease and causes the rhythms of your body and your life to slow down and relax. And now when I think about that, and I think about a a little, and I'm happy, right now I'm thinking about like a little blonde, spiky-haired, uh, freckle-faced eight-year-old who in normal mode is just running wild and going crazy. But at that moment, it, just everything relaxes, you know what I mean? Just and There you are, sitting against, leaning against mom. So the question is, can we purposely give ourselves to that Psalms 131 imagery to receive the quietude of a child in his mom's lap? Um, so let's check in with our hearts. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you for the opportunity to rally in prayer. I thank you for the opportunity to receive healing for the damage or the bruising or the wounding that is very, very natural in, in the culture that we're in and through all that we've gone through. For those of us, Lord, in this room, believers, um, you'd have to be silly to not know that as a class of people, we are being mocked and excoriated by other classes and other folks. I can't imagine that any of us haven't had to process disappointment and confusion about the way things seem to be turning out or the way the intermittent steps have turned out. And so, Lord, I'm not trying to hide from any of those things, but I am asking that you would help us process them by receiving the security of the reality of our most fundamental identity, being your child.